Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shackman. Bernie Sanders, an avowed Democratic Socialist, never a member of the Democratic Party, ran two failed presidential campaigns, yet he has succeeded in moving the Democratic Party to the left. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a one-term congresswoman with no previous political experience, and yet her socialist views have gotten attention and attraction on a national scale. Particularly among young people, there's a growing disaffection with the state of capitalism and free markets today. Even the likes of billionaires, such as Chase's Jamie Diamond and Salesforce's Mark Benioff, have talked about the need for a new, more inclusive capitalism. While this is clearly about the economy, it's also about shifts in the social, cultural, and political landscape. The coronavirus has laid bare many of the lurking flaws in our system, and the politics of the moment magnify everything. The question is, is this a tectonic shift in the politics of America or a temporary blip in an otherwise centrist nation? We're going to talk about this today with my guest, John Judas. He's the editor-at-large at Talking Points Memo and the author of the books The Nationalist Revival, The Populist Explosion, and the seminal work The Emerging Democratic Majority. He's written for numerous publications, including The New Republic, The National Review, The New York Times, and The Washington Post, and it is my pleasure to welcome John Judas here to talk about his newest work, The Socialist Awakening. What's different now about the left? John, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. Is it your sense that this fascination now with, with some of these socialist views is a blip, or is there something fundamentally shifting right now? Well, uh, again, I think it depends what, what you mean by socialism. Um, I, I think for the young and for the, a lot of the people who voted for Bernie Sanders, it means putting people before profits. Uh, it means greater uh, economic equality, racial and sexual equality, greater cooperation among people. I think that that uh, uh, particularly in reaction to these, we've had now a, a recession, a big recession followed by a recession plus pandemic. Um, there is a, a, a real uh, a skepticism about capitalism, about markets, about whether that's Markets are going to guarantee us uh, prosperity, freedom, and all the kinds of things that we were promised. And it particularly has hit the young. It's the it's the generation that wasn't uh, that didn't grow up in the Cold War. That didn't equate socialism with the Soviet Union. Uh, and if you look at uh, Bernie's vote, even in 2016, he gets more primary votes among the young than Trump and Clinton combined. Um, and, you know, the same thing happened in 2020. Uh, that's, the, that's, again, that's the age group of that uh, among which his message has most resonated. And I expect the skepticism itself about capitalism and the, the uh, concern about putting people first uh, is going to continue. It might not always have the name socialism attached to it. I mean, I don't think there was a a lot of difference between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders in the election. I mean, what you're going to have is is, uh, shadow socialism, people who have these kind of principles but might not call themselves progressives or liberals. And I think that that's going to be a going trend. And, you know, the battle is going to be now uh, over uh, what direction America is going to go. Uh, in the face of this succession of crises, 
And I think both sides, both Republican and Democrat, are going to be for some version of big government. And it's a question of what what form that big government is going to take, whether it's going to be more democratic, more, more with a view uh, towards raising up the bottom, or whether it's going to be more uh, is concerned with pro-business, regressive tax solutions, uh, you know, again, more money for extractive industries, defense. So you can see the kind of differences uh, now. Uh, even with Biden, who's a kind of democratic centrist, who's been pulled to the left, and Trump. How much of it is a reaction, a sort of a cyclical reaction, as we've certainly seen historically in this country, to really the past 50 years, really the, the period since Reagan at the very least, where, where the country has moved to the right, and now it's beginning to move in the other direction? Well, I, I think it is, uh, it, it absolutely is a reaction. And I think that both the Sanders and the Trump campaigns in 2016 were, were warning signs that uh, among, uh, you know, a great majority of the populace, the solutions which were proposed from the Reagan years, deregulation, globalization, I mean, all these different uh, ization's, uh, have not worked, and uh, that we had to try something new. Now, uh, you know, from my standpoint, I hope the movement is toward the left, but, you know, you have to realize in these circumstances uh, that it could also be toward the right. It's just going to be different from what it was in the 1980s and 1990s. When you say you could see it moving towards the right, in what way? I, obviously, again, if we reelect Trump, uh, but even within the uh, Republican Party now, uh, a lot of the up-and-comers, Josh Hawley from uh, Missouri, Marco Rubio from Florida, are now embracing much more of a kind of communitarian uh, uh, big government, um, anti-market in some ways, uh, politics, where they want to have more uh, regulation and where they want to uh, encourage an industrial policy that helps, uh, where government actively helps uh, business grow, uh, but where they might not be so keen about uh, labor unions, about uh, some kinds of uh, national health insurance. So, I think that there could be a right-wing big government or a conservative big government version as well as a more progressive socialist uh, version of big government. But in any case, you know, I mean, we're talking now about trillion-dollar spending bills. Uh, That was just inconceivable uh, 20 years ago. Somebody would have said, you know, the country is, uh, is finished. So... We, we really have moved on to a, a, a much different stage where government's going to be playing a much larger role. And the question is, you know, what kind of role is it going to play? How much of this grows out of the two things that you've written about in, in your two previous books to this one, the, the populist explosion and this kind of revival of nationalism? Talk about that. Populism isn't a, a solution. It's a campaign and it's a politics and it really signals, uh, it, it occurs when uh, a, a large number of people in the society find the political establishment of both parties unresponsive. 
And you get at that point uh, candidates and uh, parties that are running uh, on a platform of we're the people and we're, we're uh, challenging the elites or the establishment. Usually these kind of uh, candidates don't win. We have this strange situation in the United States where, you know, Trump actually uh, won, won the election. And to some ways he's tried to maintain that posture of being against the elite in the establishment. That's part of his battle with the media, the military, the deep state, uh, all, all that stuff. So um, we're still in a populist moment. It's these kinds of times are usually resolved uh, when uh, the establishment itself changes and tries to accommodate what's valid in the popular complaints about what it's done, what it has been doing over the last 20 or 30 years. So we'll have to see how that works out. But you mentioned, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon, Business Roundtable, all these people who suddenly uh, come out for, well, maybe this great inequality we have in the society is not so good. So there is this kind of dawning reaction among uh, um, the business establishment that some, something is going to have, have to change. Uh, we just don't know, again, what exact political form that's going to take. And I don't think that's going to be resolved in, uh, the, in November. I think it might take a, you know, a decade or two before we really see uh, what kind of America comes out of these conflicts. Is it too late, do you think, for those within the business establishment, the Mark Benioffs, the Jamie Dimons, etc., to make the kind of substantive changes that will, will placate the Bernie Sanders supporters or the, or the AOC supporters? Well, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, that's one group. The other group is the, the high-tech people, and they're really important. The, the uh, you know, the Zuckerbergs, uh, Google, Alphabet, Microsoft, uh, Apple, well, uh, Tim Cook, what they, where they they will go. Um, you know, it's it's not too late. I don't expect we're going to have a um, an old fashioned what used to be thought of as a socialist revolution where we eliminate uh, capitalism. I think we will uh, retain capitalism. But uh, it's a question of whether it's going to be subject to to a, a much greater and more responsible public rela- uh, regulation than it has been in the past, and whether in some cases, you know, if uh, if parts, let's say, of the healthcare industry prove intransigent uh, and won't subject themselves to regulation, whether there'll be a need for government to play a much bigger ownership role. So, uh, you, know, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out, but that's going to be a big, uh, that's going to be a big fight. Um, I think that the tax question, I think if Biden is elected, I think that they, uh, a lot of the wealthy will acquiesce to uh, 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 some kind of progressive change in our tax code, but it won't be like uh, during World War II where we had 94% marginal rates on the high incomes or even in the you know, I think be, before Reagan, it was in the 70% uh, uh, range, but it's not going to be any more uh, the, the way it has been, where really um, the, the, the very wealthy and the big corporations have gotten out of supporting the government. Have you heard 
the voices or the, the policy or philosophical underpinnings that really address the ch- kind of change you're talking about? I mean, Sanders, for example, has been saying the same thing essentially for 20 years, if not more. But have you heard new voices that, that really incorporate the reality of capitalism with the reality of, of this movement towards the left and the changes, the fundamental changes that need to be made? Well, you know, I think that, that I think that there's a lot of um, voices in the uh, in the media uh, and in social media, and and uh, there, there's new magazines like Jacobin, uh, Current Affairs. Uh, there, you know, there's a hundred podcasts. Uh, I, there, there's a proliferation of these kind of voices. That really, what there isn't is a kind of acknowledged. Uh, uh, leadership, and I think that that's very both intellectually and politically, uh, and I think that that's that's a, a, a major failing, and we'll we'll have to see how that uh, pans out. I mean, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, too young, and also represents a very kind of um, peculiar district in terms of the country itself uh, that doesn't have much uh, resemblance to a lot of the small town, mid-sized towns uh, outside of cities like New York, Washington, D.C., Chicago, that, um, that the Democrats on the left have lost over the last 50 or 60 years. And I think it is going to be have, to have to be a leadership and win back a lot of those places. And a lot of the people who, were, uh, who voted for Trump in 2016 and, you know, might have voted for Obama in 2012, in 2008. I don't quite see that yet uh, coherent. What about shifting demographics and how that's influencing what we're talking about? You know, I think the most important thing that's happened is the the, uh, process of deindustrialization that occurred in the Midwest and the the South. But also it did occur just as much in the South, incidentally. It's not all a matter of um, uh, George Wallace and race coming back to haunt us. Uh, North Carolina, where Trump won in uh, 2016, um, lost, uh, oh, I think the second or third most number of uh, manufacturing jobs over 2000 to 2016, um, for mostly furniture to Mexico. So I, I, again, I think that, that uh, I think that that's a major split in our society. Um, in terms of demographics, yeah, it's important, but a lot of times it's overrated. And you're starting to see that uh, in the Hispanic uh, vote, for instance. Um, you know, the discovery that a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, people that in the census or pollsters class as Hispanic see themselves as white. I mean, these kind of categories are much, uh, are, are much less fixed. Uh, than you would imagine from reading the kinds of um, de- democratic uh, analyses that think that believe that just because of democratic demographics, de- uh, Democrats are going to win elections. So I- I'm somewhat uh, skeptical of that. I think again, um, the party that can that can can present itself 
as representing the great majority, the, the common people is going to be the party that, uh, that wins. And it's going to have to combine uh, a lot of votes, um, you know, white, whatever, Asian, uh, uh, Hispanic, black. I mean, the only two groups that really have been steadily democratic over the years, regardless of class, are Jews and blacks. Those are, you know, but uh, Hispanics, you know, again, it's, uh, it depends where Hispanics come from. They might be following the course of other immigrant groups in America, which is, who, as they go up the income ladder, uh, become more conservative. Again, I'm saying well, what I'm just trying to say is that I wouldn't make any bets just on the basis of demography that one party rather than the other is going to win elections. How do these domestic changes that we're talking about, intellectual shifts, political shifts, etc., what is the nexus between what we're talking about here in the U.S. and what we're seeing go on globally, particularly with respect to, to Europe? Well, you know, there are a lot of similarities, obviously, in the uh, what, what's, what went on in the United States and what went on in Great Britain. And um, the victory of uh, Brexit, which nobody, uh, none of the, the elites and certainly none of, uh, very few of the leaders of late, either Labor or the Tories in Britain expected, predated uh, Trump. It was, took place in the summer of 2016. And it was a kind of, again, it was a foreshadowing of, uh, of Trump's victory. Um, in the case of, of, of uh, Europe, in the case of uh, Britain in particular, um, the immigration issue has also played a, a huge role. I think less so now uh, than it had, had uh, four or five years ago, uh, because uh, what really made it explosive in Europe, uh, to less extent here perhaps, was the fusion of the threat of terrorism and the threat of, of um, illegal immigration. Those were, those, were, those were just fused together. And as the threat of terror, the 9-11 period, uh, uh, this, uh, Syria, ISIS, all that stuff has receded, that issue has become less pressing. And I think that's hurting Trump in the United States. And it's the reason, again, that like in Germany, the alternative for Deutschland, which uh, looked like it was going to become a major uh, party, even most the second party, uh, is now polling at 9% or something in polls uh, and not at uh, 18 or 19 or 20%. So I, I think to some extent, uh, immigration receiving as a major issue has um, has. Uh, damage the cause of the populist right, both in the U.S. and in Europe. Do you think that this election is going to tell us anything in terms of these trends, these these issues that we've been talking about, or is Trump's and the current situation so sui generis that it transcends in some ways a serious discussion of these larger policy frameworks? Oh, God. I mean, you know, I— I'm, I'm Bernie's age, so I've been around a long time. <laughs> I've never seen an election like this. This is uh, um, the election is coming around to the most basic questions that go beyond uh, social, even socialism and capitalism, uh, democracy, the constitution, the role of science in society. 
Um, and, you know, and what you're seeing, especially at the top, is a kind of popular front against uh, Trump. I mean, the, the uni unity of many of the business, scientific, military elites uh, around Biden and uh, a coalition that reaches well into the uh, uh, center right uh, of American politics. Uh, so it's a very unusual election. And uh, I, I, again, I, I have no idea what's going to happen after November. Um, I, I believe, I hope that Trump is bluffing with all this stuff about what if he loses, uh, he's not going to step down. Um, it's his character to do to do things like that, uh, and he doesn't have uh, the the prerequisites I think for taking power uh, the way that let's say Mussolini or Hitler did. He doesn't have Hitler had a you know almost a million man uh, army at his disposal as well as the support of uh, of business and the military. So. Um, Again, I, I would I, I wouldn't be surprised to see immense chaos. If I had to bet now, I would think that that uh, Biden will win and will take office, and that um, it, it's hard to say what he's going to have to do very big things, and he has not done very big things in the past, and he's not necessarily run on a promise to do big things. So it's it, again, I think it's hard hard to say what exactly is going to happen. But I think under either Trump or Biden, you're going to have you you're going to have to have huge budgets and huge changes in government priorities. Maybe it's going to take three or four years to, to sort of stabilize things before big things could even be done. Uh, maybe. But if we still don't have a vaccine and if uh, unemployment is uh, and double digits in January and February, um, whoever's elected, who, if it's Trump re-elected or Biden, is going to have to do, again, big, really big budget stuff. And finally, what do you see as, as the things to watch for as this socialist awakening transpires? What are, what are the signals that you look for along the way that something fundamental is changing here? In terms of the country itself, I... And the industry, I would look at um, what happens to healthcare, where we move uh, in terms of policy, and energy, and transportation. Those are all areas of uh, uh, where the public really is going to have to uh, reassert, reassert itself. Um, in terms of the uh, public, again, of what we're, of ourselves as a country and reunifying ourselves, I, I, would, I would look, if Biden were elected, at what he's going to do to uh, revive the Midwest and parts of the South that have been decimated over the last 20 years, and whether there's something that, he, that really can be done to bring those parts of the country together. Uh, Boris Johnson has a very similar problem in uh, Great Britain, and uh, so far, as far as I can tell, has, has, is more uh, words than actions. It's similar to uh, Trump on China. I mean, he's been, he's carried a uh, what it, what is it? Uh, uh, he's made he's made uh, major pronouncements, but actually, there's been very very little done. 
John Judas, the book is The Socialist Awakening, What's Different Now About the Left. John, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.